Attention! This makes absolutely no sense. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Xander's Facts. Hello, everybody. Welcome into Xander's Facts. I am, of course, the aforementioned Xander. I know this is not a new episode of the Xander's Facts podcast. It is a wonderful, glorious Xander's Facts flashback we are doing this week on Wednesday, November 8th. 2023 because y'all it is election day tuesday november 7th the day i'm recording this flashback so i kind of had to pay attention to what was going on i'm gonna break i'm gonna talk about it more next week but i'm gonna do a little recap because i'm doing this late it's like 11 o'clock tuesday night so we've got a lot of results in that i just want to touch base on for just a second before we get to this week's flashback which is very long and exciting y'all it's going to be a good one. I'll tell you about it in just a second before we do. Just wanted to remind you all that if you like the Zander's Facts podcast, if you think you're going to like this week's flashback, remember to follow this podcast, download this episode, this flashback, rate and review the podcast. Check us out on all the socials, Twitter, threads, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, at Zander's Facts, that's Zander with a Z. Spread the facts to all your friends about the podcast and the newsletter Xander's Weekend Facts, which is a weekly recap of the week's top headlines that I write up. It comes out every Sunday morning. Link is in this episode's description. Go check it out. And check out the Xander's Facts link tree, which is also linked to this episode's description because it has all these Xander's Facts links that you need. So before we get to this week's flashback, it's a good one, y'all. We are going back episode 82, which y'all was, it was an hour and 44 minutes long. But I wanted to go back to episode 82 this week, which was from November 16th of last year, because that was the podcast where we reviewed the midterms and we previewed the World Cup. Number one, I want to do it because obviously a year ago, elections, it's election night, the day after you're going to be listening to this. And so I was like, well, we should take a look back at what we said last year after the elections. So I wanted to do that. And then number two, same podcast. Last year in November was the World Cup. And so now it feels like, I mean, we have the Champions League and all that good stuff, but it feels like empty now. You know, my international soccer heart, even though the U.S. is playing later this month, which by the way, we got we haven't talked soccer in months on this podcast since like our season preview, I think, which was in August. So like we got to talk about soccer again on this podcast. We're going to get to that in a future episode, hopefully in the next few weeks on the podcast. But Yes, this flashback is super long because first off, we reviewed the midterms, talked about all that, and then we talked about the World Cup. Of course, you remember it was in Qatar last year, so I basically went through all the controversies that were going on, and then we talked about what was going on on the pitch, which of course, the World Cup happened, but I think it's always interesting to go back and see what did Xander talk about? What was Xander right about? What was Xander wrong about? Um, I just listened to a little bit of it, but, uh, Sander was not right on very many things, but you know what? That's okay. Cause as long as you admit when you're wrong, that's okay. We still have a lot of facts on this podcast and that's really all that matters. So that huge podcast that we did, we're going to be going back to that on the flashback from November of last year in just a second. But before we do, just wanted to... Do a little update on what was going on with the elections. Last week, if you didn't listen to the podcast, you probably should have because it was our 2023 elections preview, Xander's 2023. But there were big elections this year. Presidential election wasn't happening. Congressional elections weren't happening. But we had governor's races in Mississippi and Kentucky. And then we had big legislative elections in New Jersey and Virginia. Virginia especially. 
So basically, and then we had referendums in Ohio. So basically what happened, what I have gathered from all the results, is in Kentucky, Democrat Andy Bashir, we talked about him last week, he was the governor already, 2019, he beat a very unpopular Republican, he's now the incumbent popular Democrat, and he won. He beat his Republican challenger, the current Attorney General of Kentucky, Daniel Cameron, by, it looks like, the results they have right now, about five points. He got about 52.5%, which again, it's Kentucky, and Kentucky is a very Republican state for basically every other election. You take a look at all the other elections that are going on in Kentucky today, and you can tell it's a very Republican state. But Andy Bashir is a very popular Democrat governor of the state, and he won re-election, which I said last week, that probably doesn't tell you much about 2024 and the presidential election, because again, people vote differently for a statewide election as compared to a federal election, and you know, popularity in a state like Kentucky with a popular Democratic governor, you can't really... You know, it's good for Democrats that he won, but also you can't really say Joe Biden is the greatest thing ever after that because it doesn't really have to do anything with Joe Biden. Mississippi governor too. Mississippi is the only other state in 2023 that is electing a governor in November. Louisiana already elected their governor. They did that weird thing. If you listen to the podcast last week, you know about it. But Mississippi, an even more Republican state than Kentucky, I told you it would probably be Closer than you think for a Mississippi race. And it is. Tate Reeves is the current incumbent Republican governor. He's got about 53% of the vote. I'm looking right now. This is Tuesday again. You'll probably have full results. But 81% of the vote's in. He's probably going to be Brandon Presley, who is the Democrat. But again, it's probably going to be closer than 8%, the final results. So it'll be close. But the incumbent Republican, who's not very popular in Mississippi... But still, it is Mississippi. So, you know, I said last week he's probably going to win. He did win. And I said last week the Kentucky governor is probably going to win. The Democrat, Andy Bashir, And he won. So there's all of that. Unless something drastic happens. Because they haven't called the Mississippi governor's race as of yet for me. But it looks like the Republican's going to win. And then you also have Ohio. Ohio, we talked about last week, has the two big referendums on the ballot. The first one for abortion and the second for marijuana. So we said that back in August, Ohio had this other referendum that was basically asking voters, do you want constitutional amendments to be passed, but they have to have 60% of the vote instead of 50%? The voters said no, because we know what you're trying to do. And so these referendums only needed a majority to pass. Issue one was the right to an abortion. It would enshrine abortion access in the state constitution. It passed 92% of the votes in right now. 55% said yes. 44% said no. Again, Ohio is a state that Trump won in 2020 by about eight points or so. So again, and we saw this in Kansas too last year and other states like Kentucky too, states that voted for abortion, but are red states. Ohio is kind of a purple state, but it's been very red the last few elections. And then you see they vote by 10 points to maintain abortion access. And then issue two was for marijuana. This would have legalized recreational use and sales 
of marijuana in Ohio. 56% as of 92% of the votes are in. 56% said yes. 43% said no. So marijuana is going to be legal in Ohio by an even wider margin. And abortion is too. So again, those are two issues that usually are democratic issues. Marijuana access and abortion access. And they won pretty handily in Ohio, which is a state that doesn't really elect Democrats anymore. And so maybe that tells you something about what could happen in 2024. But again, obviously that happened in Kansas in a referendum in August in Kansas last year. And then 2022 happened. And the Democrat still, again, like Kentucky, Kansas had an incumbent Democratic governor and she won, but it still voted Republican elsewhere. So maybe that won't tell you a lot about 2024, but if anything, this year was going to tell you about 2024, because again, don't listen to the polls, because again, if we'd listen to polls, Trump would not be even close to being president in 2015. Mitt Romney would have won in 2011. Like all that, you know, doesn't matter right now. Like seriously, get a hold of yourself. But we said, if anything's going to tell you about 2024 right now, it would be Virginia. Virginia had their state legislator elections on Tuesday, which I voted in because I voted in Virginia. And so we talked about the governor is a Republican, Glenn Youngkin. We talked about, oh, he wants a 15-week abortion ban. That's probably not true. He probably would sign any kind of ban. And I told y'all about that, and Democrats said, yeah, that's probably what's going to happen, so we need to maintain abortion access because Virginia's the only state in the South that has abortion access right now. Of course, there were other issues as well. And so, as of now, 11 o'clock Tuesday night, in the state Senate, which Democrats controlled, 22 seats I believe they had, Democrats have 21, which means out of 40, which means they have officially, well, I guess these are unofficial results, but they basically have won the majority in the state Senate, which means Republicans are not going to get to pass basically any of their agenda in Virginia, no abortion, anything else they want. That's not going to happen for Glenn Youngkin because Democrats retain their majority in, this, in the Senate. In the House, the House of Delegates, the other chamber, which Republicans held the 52-48 advantage in, as of 11 p.m., November 7th, VPAP, I told you all about VPAP last week, Virginia Public Access Project, it's amazing, they have rejected 50 seats for the Democrats, 46 for the Republicans. That means that even if Republicans win the remaining four races that are not called, Republicans will have lost their majority because then we'd be at 50-50, They'd have to do a power-sharing agreement, but Democrats only have to win, as of now, y'all probably know this, but just looking at it at 11 p.m., Democrats only have to win one of four seats that are, as of now, undecided, and let's see, Democrats are leading in one, two, Republicans are leading in the other two. Okay, so there you go, y'all. If Democrats get one more seat, too, they have an outright majority. They don't have to do the power-sharing agreement. So what does that all mean? It means that Democrats performed well in Ohio, in Kentucky, remains to be seen in Mississippi, and in Virginia. And Glenn Youngkin, Glenjamin, oh, Glenjamin, he didn't have a good night. It was rough. We'll talk about it more, though. I'll give some more analysis next week on the podcast, which is also our college basketball season preview. 
you all should go listen to that. But let's get to our, because I don't want to take too much time, because this is going to be a long flashback, y'all, if you want to listen. Our Xander's Facts flashback for this week, we're going back to episode 82 from November, where we reviewed the 2022 midterm elections, which are always fun to hear about, and then we previewed the 2022 FIFA World Cup. Y'all, I know all the controversies, and I talked about the controversies and stuff, and Qatar and all that, but listen, that World Cup was, it, it was epic, okay? The final was one of the greatest soccer matches you'll ever see, which is absolutely insane. So, we preview that, and also look back on the midterm elections. Let's get to all that. It is on this week's Sanders Facts Flashback. Sanders Facts. We are doing a little recap of the 2022 United States midterm elections because those happened, if you didn't know, on Tuesday of last week, Tuesday, November 8th. Hopefully, you voted like Xander. A lot of people did, apparently, just not as many people as people thought for the Republicans. The big red wave is what they were calling it. Didn't happen. And I'd said on my podcast two weeks ago, midterm preview, I said one of two things could happen. There could be a red wave. And that's kind of what the forecasters and the polls were predicting. And Republicans could take the House and the Senate, win a bunch of governorships, all that stuff. And which would be a normal result in a midterm election is what we've seen in the past. Or the theory that was going around among Democrats, mainly on Twitter, I saw that early voting was doing very well for the Democrats and that the polling averages were being skewered by low quality partisan polls from Republican leaning groups was going to help out the Democrats. Well, it was probably a mixture of both, actually, because Democrats officially, as of Tuesday night, are going to keep the Senate. It's 50 to 49 right now. Remember, we talked about all those competitive races back two weeks ago. So here's just how a bunch of them went. For the Democrats, they picked up the one that they really wanted to in Pennsylvania. John Fetterman beat our guy, Mehmet. Mehmet, Dr. Oz. Ha ha, loser. In Pennsylvania, that was the only flip. So far, Democrats also won in New Hampshire. That one wasn't really close. And Arizona, those were two that they desperately needed to win. And Nevada, they desperately needed to win in Nevada. And Catherine Cortez Massa, who was probably the most vulnerable Democrat in the Senate, actually won, which was surprising to some. And then for Republicans, they won the states they needed to Wisconsin, Ohio, North Carolina. But they didn't flip a Nevada or near Arizona or New Hampshire. They didn't hold on to Pennsylvania, with, which really would have helped. So there's one state left, and you can probably guess, you probably know, but it's Georgia. Georgia. Georgia is because it is going to a runoff on December 6th because no candidate got above 50%. It's Raphael Warnock and Herschel Walker. They are going to a runoff, and this really. Well, Senate control is not up for grabs. Democrats have already controlled the Senate, even if Herschel Walker wins. It would still be 50-50. But, I mean, Democrats, I would say, 
really need to win this race, not just because Herschel Walker in the Senate would be just terrible, but looking ahead to 2024, which is only two years away, by the way, that's the presidential election too, but in the Senate, I'm just telling y'all right now, in 2024, the Senate map for Democrats looks terrible. It looks brutal. They are defending seats in Montana, Ohio, and West Virginia. Now, all three of them have pretty popular incumbents, but they're still Democrats in red states. They also have to defend Nevada, Arizona, and we don't know who's going to be on the ballot in Arizona because that's Kristen Cinema's seat. And she's not very liked among the Democrats, so we'll see what happens there. And really, the only good pickup opportunities they have are, they're not really good, but the best two would be Texas and Florida. So, like, just right now, I'm just telling y'all that it's looking rough for the Democrats of the Senate in 2024. Now, all those incumbents could win. They could still win all those seats and get 51 if the incumbents do well in Montana, Ohio, and West Virginia. Jim Manchin won in West Virginia in 2018, so it's not out of the realm of possibility. I'm just telling y'all, looking at it right now, it looks a little rough. And also, we mentioned Florida. Let's talk about Florida. Because basically, the nationwide trend was more towards the Democrats on Twitter theory that Democrats did well. Except really in New York, where they lost a bunch of House seats, which might cost them the House, we'll talk about that in a minute, and Florida. In Florida, for the governor's race, we told you about old Ronald McDonald to Santa Claus. He was the incumbent running against Charlie Crist, who lost, by the way. It's the truth. 59.4% to 40%. Ron DeSantis won by 20 points. In the state of Florida, Marco Rubio won by double digits over Val Demings in the Senate. That's a major shift to the right in Florida. Remember, four years ago, the governor's race between DeSantis and Andrew Gillum in Florida was super close. And apparently, you know, Donnie Boy, he went on his Truth Social and tweeted out that he sent FBI agents down there to help stop the counting of ballots so Ron DeSantis could win in 2018. I don't know if he committed to a, another crime or not, but that's talk about that later. Uh-oh. But the rest of the country, except for really New York, shifted to the left, but Florida went way to the right. And there's probably a lot of reasons for that. Ron DeSantis is actually popular governor in Florida, and Latinos in Florida, who are mainly Cuban-Americans, people from Cuba have been very susceptible to, oh my gosh, the Democrats are socialists, they're coming for everything you own. Which, of course, they don't like that because they lived under a Castro regime in Cuba, which was communist. But the Democrats really aren't, but they bought into it. And the state Democratic Party is basically terrible. They nominated Charlie Chris. Charlie Chris is not a good candidate for Florida. So, but. Even if they nominated someone else, DeSantis probably still would have won. So basically, what that sets up is 2024, Republican primary, because Tuesday night, I'm recording this, I do not know, it is rumored that Donnie Boy, he's having a rally, he's expected to announce 
that he will run for president on Tuesday night. Whether that happens, I don't know, or not, because I'm recording this podcast before he does his little thing. He's probably going to. Well? Spoiler alert, he did. Yeah, boy! And he's probably going to face Ronald DeSantis in the Republican primary. Now, there's a lot of Republicans on things like the Fox News who don't really like Trump anymore because all of his candidates really lost in the swing states. So now they're really on to Ron DeSantis. So if Trump and DeSantis face off in the primary, DeSantis wins, what does Trump do? Because (laughs) if Trump loses in the Republican primary, would he run as an independent or third party? If that happens, that would be the absolute worst case scenario for Republicans. The Democrats could nominate a rock and it would get like 30 states because then you split the Republican vote. There's a lot of Republicans who still love their Johnny boy, but there's also a lot of them who want to move on to someone else who is also crazy, but just doesn't show it off in the way Johnny boy does. So that'll be something interesting to watch in the next two years. We'll see what happens with that. Also with a bunch of the governor's races, Take a look at them right now. Democrats won Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin. Wisconsin was pretty close. Tony Evers was the incumbent. He won 51.2% to 47.8%. So that's about three points. In Michigan, I told you Gretchen Whitmer was doing really well in the polls. She won by 10 points. And Pennsylvania, Josh Shapiro won by about 14 points over the loony boy, Doug Mastriano, who was a Trump act, one of the worst candidates Pennsylvania's probably ever seen. And he lost big. And then Arizona, a race which was called Monday Night, which was pretty close, Katie Hobbs beat, the Secretary of State Katie Hobbs, beat Carrie Lake, who's calling fraud, of course. She's a little loony herself. Oof. So, that's Arizona. I mean, what was it? Four years ago, Arizona had Republican governor, was voting for Republican presidents, had two Republican senators. Four years later, it's voting for Democratic presidents. It is got a blue governor, and now it's got two Democratic senators. Like, what did, what did they do? Also, Kerry Lake basically trashed John McCain. You can't trash John McCain in Arizona. So that happened. And then finally, the House. The House of Representatives, where Republicans are expected to get the majority. Right now, they don't have it Tuesday night. They might by the time you're listening to this podcast. But right now, the New York Times has 217 races called for the Republicans, 207 for the Democrats. You need 218. So one more call for the Republicans gets them the majority. Now, let me tell you, all the forecasts, polls, predictions, all that stuff, The forecast, 538, The Economist, the stuff we were talking about two weeks ago, had Republicans with a big edge. It was like 83% by 538 Republicans were going to win the House. That would usually mean they'd get a pretty sizable majority, but they are not right now. Democrats have 207 at the moment, and there are, as of Tuesday night, 12 races which have not been called including, by the way, Colorado's 3rd District, which is Lauren Bobo, Lauren Bobart's district. She's only up 
by just over a thousand votes. That is super close. And they redistricted that a couple last year to make it more Republican. I mean, she a loony, and that's what Colorado thinks. But Democrats are going to pick up a couple of those seats. Republicans are probably going to pick up a couple of those seats. Right now, the NBC News projection is that Republicans would get 220 seats. Democrats would get 215. That is incredibly close. That is a, I mean, that's a three-seat swing. We're talking about Republicans need to flip five seats to win control. Democrats had a bigger majority than that. And Democrats are really usually united in the House. Who knows what's going to happen with the Republicans? Are they going to vote for Kevin McCarthy for Speaker? Are all of them? Because you, the way it works in the House is you have to go on the floor and get a majority of the entire House of Representatives to get Speaker. Kevin McCarthy could only lose two Republicans if they get 220. If they get less, that's even worse for them. Could something very strange happen there? Could the MAGAs, you know, Marjorie, Lauren's probably going to get reelected. Could the people like that, could they not vote for Kevin McCarthy? Now, what I would guess is that he probably is going to end up being Speaker, and he's probably going to have the worst job ever because Republicans want to do anything. They can't lose, really, any seats. It's going to be really tough. And by the way, if you read Xander's Weekend Facts on Sunday, I alluded to the fact that this may be the best-case scenario for the Democrats. And here's why, or this is what the, exactly what they could have been hoping for. Maybe the best-case scenario is they actually win the House. But with a super-small majority like this, for Republicans, for Kevin McCarthy, there is a big divide. You talk about the Democrats, they're not really divided. There's the progressives, there's the moderates, but they're not really divided on what they're going to support and vote for and all that stuff. With the Republicans, they kind of are, because you kind of have the, I guess, sane is what you could call them. And then the people who voted after the insurrection to overturn the results of the election, which were not all of the Republicans. So you really have a big divide among the Republicans. And there's some of them, they're, right now they're just yelling at each other because they're upset that they, the red wave didn't come, and they all know that, and now they're angry at one another. All the Senate Republicans are angry at Mitch McConnell. All the House Republicans, oh, you why did this happen? It's your fault. No, it's your fault. No, it's your fault. So they're all yelling at each other, so they have no clue what's going to go on, so we'll see. But it looks like the majority in the House, for Republicans, it looks like they're going to win. They need one more seat called, is going to be very small. and. The American people are going to see all they like. They don't care really about anything. They're just going to investigate Hunter Biden. They're not going to do anything for inflation or gas prices or whatever. That was all just talk, talk, talk. They're not going to do anything about that. They're just going to investigate Hunter Biden. They're going to impeach Joe Biden for any reason they can come up with. He was sleeping too long, maybe. I don't know. But I mean, are they even going to have the votes like that would be an epic fail if they tried to do that and then they didn't have the votes. So basically what we're going to get is two years of the Republicans just blowing themselves up in the House and it's going to be hilarious. Probably not good for the country, but the people of America are going to see that and be like, what is wrong with these people? And then 2024 happens. So would it be best case scenario for the Democrats? Maybe not, but. They're going to be like, look at what the Republicans are doing. They're not doing anything productive. 
So, and then they'll have that to run on for two years. So there's all that. So that's basically what happened in the midterm elections last week, where the polls forecast right in Florida, actually in states like North Carolina, Ohio, they kind of were, but those are states that really didn't have that influx of Republican-leaning, low-quality polls. In the states that you saw a lot of those, Arizona, Georgia, Pennsylvania, Michigan, there were some. Wisconsin won the Senate race, the Republicans did. So maybe not really Wisconsin, but those states that I mentioned, there were, and a lot of the polls and the forecasts are wrong. By the way, Real Clear Politics, remember I mentioned them? Mm, I was very unsure. They projected that Republicans were going to win 54 Senate seats, and the max they can get is 50. And by the way, I do not think that Herschel Walker is going to win in a runoff. No, nothing else is going to be on the ballot. He had Brian Kemp helping him. Brian Kemp won the governor's race in Georgia over Stacey Abrams, and he did a lot better than Herschel Walker did. He had Kemp really helping him. He's not going to have any help, and I don't know why the Republicans are going to be trying for him now because Senate majority is not on the line. So Raphael Warnock's probably going to win. So they're probably going to end up with 49. Real Clear Politics had them winning 54 seats. Man, give me a break. Real Clear Politics is real clear BS. Let me just tell you now. Sick burn! Now, 538, The Economist, they really had, they had, it was like 55% or so Republicans were going to win the Senate. So when you have that, it was pretty close. So that was kind of, you know, they were off. Like they said, Carrie Lake had a 70% chance to win the Arizona governor's race. They leaned more towards the Republicans, but they weren't that bad. The Cook Political Report does their rankings, and they had like 40 toss-ups. So they could say, oh, well, we were very close. We had, you know, all these seats going to them and all these seats going to them. Yet 40 toss-ups, like... You did okay, but why'd you have so many toss-ups? Like, just put them in a category. So, you know, the last few cycles, the polls had underestimated Republicans. This time, it was Democrats, at least the averages. There were a couple really good polls, like the New York Times-Siena College poll that we mentioned a lot two weeks ago did really well. Emeritus College had a poll that came out before the election that did really well. So you had these mainstream, big polling companies who have really good ratings. That did really well, and then you had the polling averages that were influxed by the low-quality Republican polls. So that's basically how the midterms turned out. We've got another race in December, which if you're in Georgia, follow it, because you're going to have to vote in it. Hopefully you vote. Let's do it. And then we won't have any more elections, probably, until 2023. Virginia legislative elections, oh boy. But the big elections will be 2024. Senate, House, once again, bunch of governorships and president in 2024. So that's what the future holds for America and for this podcast. So Xander's facts. That's my first topic. And that was actually longer than I thought it was going to go to. But we're going to get into our main topic this week, which is the World Cup. We are talking soccer on the podcast this week. We've got two really topics to talk about with this World Cup, what's going on on the field, and what's going on off the field. So we're going to get to on the field in a second. We are going to be joined 
by our Xander's Fact Soccer analyst, Emma Adams, who will join me to break down all the 32 teams that are in this World Cup and give our predictions for who is going to win. The games start on Sunday, so very close. So that's coming up in just a minute. But I wanted to start with what's going on off the field. Because it's definitely exciting that the World Cup is about to begin. I am stoked. True that. But there's not just stuff going on off the field. There's a lot of controversies that are going on off the field. Because this World Cup is in Qatar. If you thought hosting the World Cup in Russia four years ago was bad, just, I mean, this one is in Qatar. There's been a lot of controversy surrounding this World Cup. For good reason, too. From human rights and migrant workers to how Qatar got the tournament in the first place. You might be wondering how they did. I'm going to tell you how they did. There's a lot to be skeptical about. And since many of the tournament's actual media rights holders, if you're in the U.S., you're going to be watching the games on either Fox or Telemundo, they've said that they're really not going to talk about what's going on off the field. They're mostly going to stick to what's on the field. However, it's still important to know exactly why this World Cup is caught up in a whirl of controversy. So I'm going to let you know. Don't skip this part of the podcast for the the on-the-field stuff, because this stuff is probably just as important. So let's break down all the -the off-the-field issues that are going on with the Qatar World Cup in 2022. We can really break these controversies up into really two sections. And I'm going to start with the first section, which is corruption behind Qatar and FIFA. FIFA, if you didn't know, is the organization that organizes the World Cup and is soccer's governing body. It's headquartered in Switzerland and it stands for Fédération Internationale de Football Association, even though it should be FISA, FISA, or FISA. Or I guess that's a handy trigger word, so I shouldn't use that. Terrible. In 2010, just after the World Cup had taken place in South Africa, a very successful World Cup, FIFA had announced who would host the 2018 and 2022 World Cups at its headquarters in Zurich, Switzerland. So for 2018, Russia won, of course. They beat out bids from Spain and Portugal, Netherlands and Belgium, and England. But for 2022, you might not know this, but it was actually expected that the World Cup would wind up right here in the United States. Really? The U.S., unlike 2026, was bidding alone, and they were facing Australia, Japan, South Korea, and Qatar. Now, it was expected that the U.S. were going to win this World Cup, and basically it would have already been played because it would have been played in the summer of this year. But in order to convince FIFA voters to pick the U.S., The U.S. sent a delegation that included Morgan Freeman, former President Bill Clinton. They put a lot of effort into that presentation. Just not enough, apparently. Because instead of the USA being read out, then-FIFA President Sepp Blatter, that's his name with T's, not D's, read the name of Qatar. And just like right now, it literally made no sense. This small Middle Eastern country, roughly the size of Connecticut, with a population of less than 3 million, the size of the greater Las Vegas area, 
was going to host the World Cup, a country where the summer temperature reaches up to 122 degrees Fahrenheit? How in the world could this happen? Rolling it. Well, you might be guessing money. And it turns out your guesses are correct because it wasn't because Qatar earned it on merit. I know, shockingly. But instead, it turns out that FIFA officials not just wanted to play games in Qatar because they thought they had a better bid, but because they were gaining wealth by choosing it. The United States was actually the country that took the lead in investigating Qatar and FIFA. And last year, the Justice Department claimed, they said, that FIFA officials were bribed to award the 2018 and 2022 FIFA World Cups to Russia and Qatar. Of course, FIFA and Russia and Qatar both said, This is ridiculous. How dare you accuse us of this? This is not what happened. Oh my goodness. Huh. The head of one of those parties, though, FIFA, was President Sepp Blatter. He had been the president of FIFA since 1998, and he was known for being basically an unstoppable force in the soccer world. However, he finally came down in 2015. This was actually from a different investigation that was led by the U.S. government. In 2015, the U.S. government indicted 14 people in an investigation involving wire fraud, racketeering, and money laundering. Now, this was related to a collusion investigation revolving around officials from CONMEBOL, CONCACAF, and sports marketing executives. That took down several CONMEBOL, CONCACAF, and FIFA officials. Now, if you didn't know, CONMEBOL is the soccer governing body in South America. CONCACAF is the North American soccer governing body. Now, that same month in May of 2015, Sepp Blatter was re-elected as FIFA president, but he knew the tides were turning. And then four days after he was re-elected, said that he would call new elections and not run in them. And then, Blatter was later banned from FIFA until 2027. And then, of course, just a few days ago, like, real world, 2022, last week, Blatter said that, you know, maybe awarding the World Cup to Qatar was a mistake. That's what he said. Whoops. 12 years later. So, now, the president of FIFA is Johnny Infantino. He was a member of the FIFA Reform Committee before he was president under Sepp Blatter and was Secretary General of UEFA. Now, UEFA is the soccer governing body in Europe, the most powerful of the different continents' soccer governing bodies. Infantino's FIFA is seen as less corrupt, but make no mistake about it, there is still corruption in FIFA. And by the way, FIFA is reportedly looking at moving their headquarters from Switzerland to the United States, which, okay. Plus, Infantino has basically backed the World Cups in Russia and Qatar, not at the time, but as president, he's gone forward with them, supported them fully. So yeah, FIFA is not exactly an organization that we should be rooting for. And it's pretty clear that the reason Qatar got this World Cup is because they bribed FIFA officials. Why in the world would Qatar, this little tiny country, look at it on a map. It's right next to Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia is huge next to 
little teeny tiny Qatar. Why in the world would this country get a World Cup if it wasn't for money? And by the way, Qatar has got a lot of money. But that's not the only issue with this World Cup. Because in our other section with these controversies, we can talk about major human rights issues. That includes several things, including Qatari laws on the LGBTQ plus community. In Qatar, same-sex sexual activity is banned with a potential jail sentence of seven years. Additionally, Qatari forces are allowed to detain individuals for up to six months without a charge or trial if there are, quote, well-founded reasons to believe that the defendant may have committed a crime, unquote, up to six months. And it's actually been found that LGBTQ plus people in Qatar have been arrested and that some were allegedly beaten or sexually harassed while in police custody. Qatar is no fan of the LGBTQ plus community. Now, Qatar is saying that rainbow flags will be allowed to fly at the games and anything that it's not excessive is going to be allowed. So basically, you can't be making out in the street, I guess. But you can wear a rainbow shirt, a rainbow flag. That's what they're saying. We'll see what happens. But I mean, there are definitely reasons to worry if you are an LGBTQ plus person traveling to Qatar for the games. I just would not do that. Now, several countries are showing their defiance to Qatar's laws and actions, including the U.S., which have several displays of the rainbow flag where they are staying and training in Qatar. And that, of course, is very big because not only is the U.S. playing in the World Cup, but the United States, as was declared by the Biden administration, Qatar is a major non-NATO ally of the United States. So... That's very interesting. Actually, the U.S. has about 10,000 or so troops that are stationed in Qatar. They have a massive base that is actually in Qatar. So they've been allies for a while. But obviously, this stuff is no bueno. And that includes this next thing, which is perhaps the biggest human rights issue that Qatar has faced. That would be the role of migrant workers. Now, migrant workers are workers who come to a country from their home country to work and provide money for their families back home. There's nothing wrong with that. However, the way that Qatar has treated their migrant workers is an issue. There are 2.9 million people in Qatar. Out of those 2.9 million, 2.1 million are migrant workers. That makes up 95% of the workforce in the country and 73% of the total population. Whoa. But these migrant workers have lived in horrific conditions. They've worked, some of them, nearly seven days a week, and they have been literally trapped in the country. Now, Qatar obviously has had to build a lot of stuff over the past 12 years to get ready for this World Cup, including stadiums and literal cities that they have had to build in the last 12 years. In order to build all this new infrastructure and quickly, they needed migrant workers from African and South Asian countries, a lot of them from countries like 
Nepal, India, and Bangladesh. So they have all these workers, but they're not treating them well. Last year, The Guardian estimated that more than 6,500 migrant workers have died in Qatar since 2010. Amnesty International estimates that over 15,000 non-Qataris have died in Qatar in that time frame. And they estimate that Qatar has failed to properly investigate almost 70% of these deaths. When in most industrialized Western nations, that number is typically around 1%. Now, the laws in Qatar are the things that haven't been kind to these migrant workers as well. Up until 2019, Qatar operated under a kafala system, which required migrants to have sponsors who controlled their exit visas, basically preventing them from leaving the country. Now, a law was passed in 2019 that banned the kafala system. Also in 2019, laws were passed that banned previous practices of employers keeping their workers' passports, so they didn't have their passports, they couldn't go anywhere, employers preventing workers from changing jobs in Qatar, and workers paying a recruitment fee to agents in their home country or in Qatar in order to find a job in Qatar. So they were going to Qatar to get money and bring it back to their family, but they'd also have to pay off this recruitment fee. But despite those practices now being outlawed, there have been several reporters who have gone to Qatar and found that there are still some migrant workers who are reporting that these practices are still being used. Also, Qatar has a new minimum wage law, which was implemented recently, of a thousand Qatari reels per month. That's about 275 US dollars per month. That goes around to 3,296 US dollars per year. That's only about a dollar 25 cents an hour. That's the minimum wage in Qatar for these migrant workers. Qatar, if you didn't know, by the way, has the highest GDP per capita in the world. It's $128,647. It's a fact. As of 2017. So, yeah, they've got the money to pay these people. And Amnesty International and several other human rights organizations have called on FIFA and Qatar to create a fund for migrant workers and their families of $440 million, which is the equivalent of World Cup prize money. Several national teams have also signed on to this demand, including the U.S., but of course, Qatar has rejected those demands, calling them a publicity stunt, and FIFA is basically asking all the countries, all the players, to stick to sports in the World Cup. And a lot of those countries are basically saying, no, FIFA, we're playing in your tournament, but F you. There are many countries who are standing up and speaking out. And no, there aren't any countries who are boycotting the games, but several countries have spoken out against Qatar's human rights issues, of course, including the US and Denmark, who unveiled protest kits that criticize Qatar's human rights record. So they basically dim down all the lettering and the logo and stuff on their jersey, their kit, so you really can't see it. So the treatment of migrant workers has been a serious issue for 
a while. We've been focusing on this for 12 years, really, in Qatar. And there's been a lot of excellent reporting on this stuff, including ESPN has an E60 documentary that came out a few weeks ago on it. Check that out. I know Netflix has a documentary about this whole thing with FIFA. You should also go check that out because there's a lot of stuff and it's not a lot of it good for FIFA and Qatar. It's no. So make no mistake about it. This is sports washing. Actually, if you look up the definition of sports washing in the dictionary, you'll find the Qatar World Cup right there. I don't know. If you don't know what sports washing is, the actual dictionary definition is, quote, the practice of a controversial company or country using sports sponsorship to improve its reputation, unquote. That's what Qatar is doing. What they're doing is bringing one of the most beloved sporting events in the world to its country and attempting to shine itself in a kind light to outsiders. Qatar wants you to overlook all the issues the country has and solely focus on the games and to think of Qatar kindly. They want you to think of Qatar in a favorable light. In my opinion, though, I would say that you can absolutely watch and cheer for the World Cup in your country, because that's what I'm going to do starting on Sunday. But it would be silly not to remember all the terrible things that Qatar and FIFA have done and are doing. So watching the World Cup is definitely going to be fun and exciting, and we're about to talk about all the teams and all that's going to go on on the field in just a second. But it's important to remember what's going on off the pitch as well, because these are very serious issues with FIFA and Qatar, and we should definitely not forget them, even when the whole circus leaves Qatar next month. So now there's your controversies. There's the off the field issues that are going on in Qatar. Now on to the soccer. Let's go on the field for our second half of our ultimate World Cup 2022 preview. We are going on the field to tell you how all of the 32 teams are going to look What's going to happen? Our predictions for this World Cup. That is coming up with our Xander's Facts soccer analyst, Emma Adams. We had a little talk about, about the World Cup. We chatted for a bit. It was very informal. But you will learn all the facts you need to know about the World Cup. So let's get to it. We are talking World Cup with our Xander's Facts soccer analyst, Emma Adams, as the Xander's Facts podcast continues. Sanders facts. Can they do it here? Cross and Dempsey is denied again. And Donovan has scored. Oh, can you believe this? Go, go, USA. Susi to take it. Xander's Facts Podcast, episode 82. We are continuing our ultimate World Cup 2022 preview. We are talking what is going on on the field right now. And for that... We are joined once again by our Xander's Facts soccer analyst, 
Emma Adams. Emma, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Excited for the World Cup, yes? I am, which starts eerily soon. On Sunday, because even though it's November, it's a World Cup year because, you know, Qatar. But even though it is November, it is finally time for the quadrennial event that brings the world together to watch some good old-fashioned soccer. True, true. It's the World Cup. However, because of that, Emma Adams, not just, this is kind of on-the-field stuff. We talked about all the -the off-the-field stuff earlier. Kind of on-the-field stuff. Because it's in November, it's never happened before. It's usually in the summer. There are a bunch of players who aren't playing because they got injured. One of whom... You know pretty well who plays for Portugal and Liverpool. Yeah, Diego Jota. But there's a ton of other ones, too. Like, for France, we have Kimpembe, Paul Pogba, Conte, Germany, Timo Werner, Marco Royce. For England, your team, Reese James, Ben Chilwell, and Mexico, Jesus Corona. Not affiliated to the coronavirus. Are you sure? But, like, there's a ton of names who are out of this World Cup because they are injured. And it also leaves a lot of risk of injury in the World Cup that they're not going to be fit for playing in the Premier League after, and they're going to be tired, so... Because that's the Premier League starts less than 10 days after the final of the World Cup. They have to be back for Boxing Day. Yeah, they have a week before the World Cup. And then they have less than, I guess they have a week after the World Cup ends. Yeah, that's crazy. No time for celebration or anything. Mm -hmm. It's not good. But with all that out of the way, let's talk about who is actually going to the World Cup. If you don't know how it works, there are eight groups, 32 teams, for the final time, actually, because next time it's going to be 48. So there are four teams in each group. The top two teams advance to the knockout round. So all four teams in each group will play each other in three games. The top two teams in points. Three points is from a win. You get one point from a draw and zero points from a loss. So the top two teams from each group go to the knockouts. They go to the round of 16, then the quarterfinals, the semifinals, and then the final. Good to know. So let's start in the first group. In Group A, we've got Qatar, who are the hosts of the World Cup, who qualify for the first time because they are hosts. They're actually the first ever nation that qualifies for its first World Cup by being the host, except for the first ever World Cup. Fact! There's Ecuador, Senegal, and Netherlands. And Emma Adams, this group has the worst combined, the worst average FIFA ranking at 30, that is 8 out of the 8 for Group A. I would like to believe Netherlands is not that bad. No, they're 8th. So we have two sort of ranking systems. There's the FIFA ranking, which are kind of crappy. And then there's the ELO rankings, which are usually seen as better. So I've okay. got both. Netherlands are 8 in FIFA. They're 4 in ELO. And they have their manager, Louis Van Gaal, LVG, who has only been manager since last year, but he's been manager twice before at the turn of the century in 2000 and then from 2012 to 2014. This is their 
10th World Cup. They did not qualify in 2018, so their last was in 2014, when they were actually third place. They won the third place game. But they're undefeated since Louis van Gaal took over in August of 2021. Five wins, two draws. Netherlands has Ginny Wijnaldum and Virgil van Dijk. Now, they do have a good defense. Virgil van Dijk, Nathan Ake. Oh, he's so good. Mm-hmm. And then Memphis Depay and Frankie de Jong up top. So, I think, let's look at the other teams, though, in this group. Senegal. Senegal's 18 in the FIFA rankings, I believe. They're 43 in the ELO. Wow. So, yeah, they did not make it out of the group stage last time. Ecuador is 44 in the FIFA ranking, but they're 18 in the ELO. So that's flip flop. Okay. What is Qatar? Qatar is 50 in the FIFA ranking, 48 in the ELO. That's actually much better from where they were 2010, I guess, when they started, when they won the World Cup. They were 113th in the world. So they've gotten a lot better. And I've actually watched Qatar play. They won the Asian Cup in 2019. They played in the CONCACAF Gold Cup because money. Yep. But they played really well. They only lost to the U.S. 1-0 in the semifinals, and that was the B team for the U.S. So don't count the hosts out, actually. But Ecuador has not made it since 2014. They have not gotten out of the group stage except for once in their three tournaments. That was in 2006. And Senegal, the Lions of Terranega, did not get out of the group stage in 2018, and their only previous World Cup was in 2002. They actually made the quarterfinals. You know someone from Senegal really well, I Sadio do. Mane, who's not on Liverpool anymore, though. No, sadly. But there's, they also have Koulibaly and Mendy. Yeah, but the thing is, I don't know if you've watched Chelsea recently. I have. Uh, it's been rough, and it's been a little rough for Mendy. He's not been in the best form, so I don't know about... Uh, you never know. Maybe he'll have his bounce-back era yeah. here. Actually, so they beat Egypt in penalties to qualify. Would you have rather had Egypt in the World Cup because they have your boy Mohammed? Selfishly? Selfishly, no. Because you don't want to risk injuries. And then Ecuador, Latri, not Eltri like Mexico, they are... Latry. They have Michael Estrada, who I know from DC United. Not really uh, anyone else. Moises Caicedo from Brighton. Okay. But yeah. All right. So that's Group A. So my prediction, we'll get to yours in a second, M. Adams, but we got to pre- predict our teams because we got to get the top two for who's going to come out of the group to go to the knockouts. So one, I've got Netherlands. It's probably going to be pretty easy for the Netherlands. Senegal, I've got two. Mane, three Ecuador, and four Qatar. Unfortunately, those were my rankings. Ah! But well, if easy. I want to spice things up, I'm going to go with Qatar in three and Ecuador last. Yeah, it doesn't make a difference, though. So. Just because home, home advantage, maybe they'll win something. Debatable. Now let's go to uh, the group I think we're going to talk about the most. Okay. Group B. Group B, of course, the most important group with the best team in the world. I am not talking about England or Iran or Wales. We are talking about the Stars and Stripes, the United States of 
America. America! This group has the best average FIFA ranking of 15. That is the best out of the eight groups. So basically, England, Iran, the US, and Wales are all in the top 20 of the FIFA <laughs> rankings. Like, these teams are stacked. But we've got an England expert who can tell us what's going on with England and when they're going to fire Gareth Southgate. Well, he did get that contract extension after the Euros, The Nations so. League, where they dropped down to, like, League B, I think. So I don't think he's going to be... He definitely wasn't going to be fired before the World Cup because that just wasn't enough time to yeah. have someone new come in. But it really, de- I would say, it depends on the performance during this because, I mean, if, if they go out first, if they go out in the knockout round, like, it, it's over. If, if they lose in any games, really. But if they don't win, he's, he's gone. If they don't win, it's over. If he doesn't come home, it's over. But Goodness. if they don't make past the group stage, I would say he gets fired. What if they make it past the group stage, but they lose to the U.S. in that game? Yeah, they'd probably also be fired. So if he, like, if he finishes second in the group, loses to the U.S., but still advances, if he makes the semifinals... You say he's fired if that happens. No. Okay. Well, I you think... just said if he loses any game. Well, that wasn't saying if he makes the semifinals. I'm saying uh, the U.S. is such a statement loss that we're expected to win uh, that well, if we lose, not then yeah, there's going to be a lot of hate. So England has 14 previous World Cups. This is their seventh straight. They're fifth in the FIFA rankings but they are 14th in the ELO, the more accurate ELO, by the way. So I'm just saying. But I'd like to clown England, but they did not lose a single qualifying match. That was, of course, before the Nations League, where they have struggled mightily. They did not win any of their six games in the Nations League. Didn't try is the excuse. Okay. But I just got to say, like, their roster is loaded because up top, You've got Raheem Sterling. By the way, Raheem Sterling for Chelsea, not doing it for me. So I don't know about that. But Harry Kane, who got the golden boot in 2018, I don't know if he's going to get the friendly calls that he gets in the Premier League in Qatar. So we'll see. Phil Foden. In the midfield, Luke Shaw, Declan Royce, Jude Bellingham. And then in defense, Kyle Walker, John Stones, Harry Maguire, and your boy, Trent. Trent. See, Harry Maguire is so bad. <laughs> Harry Maguire hasn't started for Man United. How's he going to start for uh, Harry when he's Maguire in the lineup? It's so bad. Harry Maguire also has cases of assault on him. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Um, what? Yeah, did you not know that? You're supposed to go to jail. Harry Maguire assault. Man United captain Harry Maguire guilty of assault resisting arrest and repeated attempts of bribery. When was this? He received a suspended sentence of 21 months and 10 days. When was this? This was in 2020. Morning, morning! So the question is, is Trent actually going to defend? Because he hasn't done well for Liverpool, and Liverpool have not done very well. If he defended, they might have been just in their last game going into the break. And they lost to Leeds United States. How are? And then we also beat Manchester City. So, if they lose to Leeds United States, how are they going to beat the actual United States? Like, come on. Because England is not Liverpool. I see. 
Those are just the players that are probably going to start. Of course, Jordan Pickford is keeper. Jordan Pickford, who decides to only have good games against Chelsea and for England. Yeah. Every time else, he's kind of blue. For Everton. But on the bench, you've got Ben White, Calvin Phillips, Jordan Henderson, Connor Gallagher, Mason Mount, Jack Grealish, who I think we both are kind of yucky on, Bakayo Saka, Marcus Rashford. Like, there's a ton of people on there who are all pretty good. England has always had an issue when it comes to big performances, clearly. Well, they I've only been champions once. That was 1966 when it was the when the tournament was in England. So clearly they cannot win if they are not in England. By the way, the I'll, I don't want to talk about it. Women's. If the US women played it's England in the US, the US women would have won because that's not the even close. VAR in England is messed up. No, it's not. It screwed them. That was not a no goal. Yes, it was. Oh my gosh, the England team is so good. We're going to win the World Cup next year. That's not a fact. Oh, in 2023? Yeah. Well, it's not in England, so. Mm, still. Don't think so. Okay. Oh, wasn't the uh, women's Euros in England, too? And they made the Euro final in the men's in England. It's because it's meant to come home. And it didn't. Okay, so there's enough of England, yuck. This is their seventh straight World Cup, by the way. They finished fourth in 2018 because they lost the third place game. Let's talk about Iran. I guess we don't have to for very much because we don't know any of the players. But this is their third straight World Cup. They've never advanced past the group stage, but they're 20th in the FIFA rankings and 22nd in ELO. Of course, this is big you know, political stuff. There's a lot of stuff going on in Iran right now. Iran is just across the Gulf from Qatar. So they basically have home field advantage. So then there's Wales, who are 19th in the FIFA rankings, but 26th in the ELO. Wales have only been to one past World Cup. It was 1958. And they beat Ukraine to qualify, which is kind of sad. But the man to watch is Gareth. Bale. It's his one and only World Cup. The only reason he went to LAFC in MLS was to tune up for the World Cup. Even though he didn't play much, he played a lot of golf. He didn't play a lot of soccer. But then he saved the club and they won MLS Cup because of his header in like the 128th minute. If you missed that game, M. Adams, that was, a, that was probably the best soccer game of the year. MLS Cup final. You missed it. Okay. That was terrible. I, don't, I never think Wales are that bad. Like, I expect them to be a qualifying team. I don't know why. I don't know. The other guys they've got, Dan James uh, from Le- from Fulham right now. Aaron Ramsey. Kiefer Moore. Nico Williams. The big thing, I think, for Wales, the schedule, they have the U.S. first. And I totally predict that Gareth Bale's going to score against the U.S. If they can get at least a point, they may get three. <laughs> But if they can get at least a point from the U.S., they, they definitely have a chance in the group. Yeah, I agree. And they play England last. Oh, big stuff. That could be a big game. But let's go to the best team in Group B. The oh. Stars and Stripes. U.S.A. They are 16th of the FIFA rankings, but 24th in the corrupt ELO ranking. They did not make the 2018 World Cup. Because first off, if or they had even made, 
the others. What do you mean? They haven't made many others as well. Ten. They made this is their eleventh World Cup. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. That's just however many behind England. Four. Gash facts. They got third place in the nineteen thirty World Cup. Thank you very much. That's the first World Cup. Don't think England got up there. And they made it to the round of sixteen in the last two tournaments that they have been to. But this is going to be the first under Greg Berhalter, their manager, who played for the U.S. in the World Cup. Basically the only person with World Cup experience in the squad. Oof! But they're super young. They have the youngest World Cup squad. 24 and a half years is their average age. Because this is a whole new generation, M. Adams. You know the boys because you've been watching them. Christian Pulisic, who hasn't played much because he's... Do you think he'll transfer? Hmm. No, because I think that... um, What's his name? Graham Potter likes him. He should go to Leeds. (gasps) Nice! That would be incredible. Could you imagine? First off, they'd score like... Well, for Leeds, Leeds have struggled because their defense has been rubbish. They need a left back now, and they need a striker. Rodrigo has not been getting it done. He's not bad. Yeah, he was good against Tottenham, but they lost 4-3 to Tottenham because their defense was just terrible. Speaking of Leeds, United States, yes indeed. Do you know, M. Adams, who has the most tackles in the Premier League this season? Anthony Robinson. Jedi Robinson. No, it's that same team, though. Palinha for Fulham. With 65, but second is Tyler Adams with 52. He has been, he's a workhorse. And you know, alongside him is Brendan Aronson with Leeds. And of course, coached by our great man, Jesse Marsh, who people wanted to get rid of. And then he beat Liverpool. But did you know that Brendan Aronson against Liverpool ran 13.2 kilometers, which is 8.2 miles? In 90 minutes. In a single oh game. God, that's actually Which, crazy. It's the most in the Premier League this season. Fact nugget! So you keep doubting all these Americans, but they just keep better than the English, I see. Well, no. No. Like you said, Anthony Robinson has Fulham's defense. I don't know if you watched. I've seen the games recently against Man United, Man City. But Anthony Robinson and Tim Ream. Tim Ream, the captain Tim Ream is good. for Fulham. They've done really well. And by the way, Tim Ream has not played for the U.S. in over a year. Greg Berhalter's kept him out for whatever reason. But he's finally back. Hopefully he replaces Aaron Long on defense. Because, let me just tell you, if they play Wales and Aaron Long is starting in defense, Gareth Bale's going to say, oh, I saw, I know Aaron Long from MLS. And he's going to go right by him, right into the goal. It's, uh, yeah. And then in the midfield, you've got Weston McKinney, who's been injured for Juventus, but he is back. And then, of course, up top, Pulisic, Aronson. You've got Pulisic, Aronson, Reina, Tim Way, Eunice Musa. We don't know who the striker's going to be. It could be Jesus Ferreira, Josh Sargent, who plays for Norwich, or Haji Wright. Probably not going to be Haji Wright. We don't know who it's going to be. So out of all those players, Gio Reina, I don't know if you saw what he did against Mexico back... I think it was last year. Oof. He just needs to stay healthy. Because he's only 19. But uh, he is he is really good. You've got a ton of players up top. 
who you could play and still be good for the U.S. The issue is the defense. But Tim Ream, hopefully, stays healthy. And then you had the thing at keeper. Because for keeper, Zach Steffen, who was the backup to Ederson at Man City, was usually starter. But he moved to Middlesbrough. He hasn't played well in the championship. And so he is not even in the lineup. Matt Turner, who moved to Arsenal, is going to probably start. So there's that whole thing. But Matt Turner's done pretty well. So there you go. USA. Oh my gosh. Does England have any good chance? Because I don't think they do. Yeah, I think so. They don't have one that goes like, I, I believe, I believe that, I believe that we, I believe that we will win, I believe that we will win, I believe that we will win. So we've spent enough time on Group B. We got to do some predictions here. And Adams, you can go first with your Group B predictions. England, United States, Wales, Iran. You got the U.S. coming out. How about that? I do. So I have the United States one, of course. England two, Wales three, Iran four. Iran, I think, could could easily get out of the group though. Like this group is It's gonna really, be really close. Yeah. It could really go anyway. So all these teams will start playing on Monday. US plays Wales at two o'clock Eastern. Iran plays England at eight AM. So it'll be it'll be fun to watch, even though it'll be early. Not as early as some games. There are gonna be some games that kick off at five AM Eastern. Oh, that's like why would they ever do that? Well, it's not five AM Qatar, but they hate Americans. Actually, the two, <laughs> they do. Actually, the two p.m. Eastern time is ten p.m. Qatar, so that's like late for them. Yeah, that's really late. There's all that. Group B. We spend the most time on Group B. So we got these other groups here. Let's go to Group C, which is sixth biggest average FIFA ranking. So not that great. They have Argentina though, and the big thing with Argentina is this is Lionel Messi's final World Cup. They finished second in 2014. They won it back in 1978 and 86. Messi wasn't there. It's their 17th World Cup. This is the final chance they have, M. Adams. Do you think Argentina could win with Messi? Messi, 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 I, Messi, Messi. They're a really strong team. They always have been. So, yes, there's always a chance. Do I think they are going to win? history tends to repeat itself they have a 35 match unbeaten streak mm, they have not lost the 35 games which is two games shy of the all-time men's record so to do that they'll have to win their first two games against the other three teams in the group saudi arabia mexico and poland saudi arabia the green falcons who have been to two straight world cups they haven't gotten out of the group, though, since 1994. They are just one of two nations, though, that are fielding a squad that plays entirely in their home country. The other is Qatar. It's true! So, yeah, the Green Falcons. 51 in the FIFA rankings. Mexico is 13th. Let me just spout off about Mexico here. They have not beat the U.S. since 2019 in a friendly. That's one of the biggest rivalries. U.S.-Mexico. And Mexico has done terribly against the u.s recently they have not done very well they they want tata martino fired he's been there since 2019 
Hasn't happened yet. They keep getting older. Raul Jimenez, Corona, I said, is out. Hector Herrera went to Houston Dynamo. He's old. Herving Lozano, Chucky. And of course, Ochoa in defense, who I cannot stand because Ooh. in goal. Mexico have struggled coming into the tournament, so their FIFA ranking of 13, and even their ELO ranking of 21 is too high. Like, I am not high on Mexico at all. Let me just tell you. What's US's ranking? It's lower. It's not, it's lower than Mexico. Like, that doesn't make any sense. Mm, They've beaten Mexico. You don't know. Good grief. All right. And then we've got Poland, who the only player we're all going to recognize is, of course, Lewandowski. Lewandowski. Who was looking for the golden boot. He's actually done okay for Barcelona. He'll probably have some fun with Mexico, though. But he has 35 goal contributions in the last three qualifying cycles, which is tied for most in Europe. But they only managed, they didn't even get out of the group stage in 2018. They're 26 in the FIFA rankings, 23 in the ELO. The red and white. All right, let's go to our rankings here for Group C. We've got... Argentina, Saudi Arabia, Mexico, and Poland. I will go first. I, of course, have Argentina won. I am not putting Mexico into the... By the way, Mexico has gotten to the round of 16 the last seven tournaments. Not this time. Mexico, third. Poland, two. And Saudi Arabia, four. I'm going to go Argentina, Mexico, Poland, Saudi Arabia. I just... They're going to fire Martino, Tata. When it's over, they're not going to get past. They're struggling. All right, so let's go to Group D, headlined by the defending champions of the World Cup. The big question is, though, there has not been a defending champion that has gotten out of the group since 2002. Wow. The dreaded champion's curse. So the big question is, Adams, can France get out of the group with Australia, Denmark, and Tunisia? I think easily, yes. Yeah. Like, I look at it and I'm like, uh, they're probably going to get nine points in this group. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking too. The only team they could, I see them possibly, no. (laughs) Not Denmark. No. No. I don't think so. In the Nations League, Denmark beat France 2-0. Apparently teams don't try in the Nations League. Clearly not. I don't know. They won the 2021 Nations League, however. Didn't lose any games in qualifying. Of course, I think I picked them last year to win in the Euros. They did not. They lost in penalties to Switzerland. I was at an amusement park while that was happening, actually. Mm. It was terrible. I remember that. No one cares! But they've got basically everyone back from 2018. Hugo Loris at goal. Kunde and Varane in the back. And then up front, you've got Benzema, who just won the Ballon d'Or, Dembele, Giroud, Griezmann, Mbappe. and of course, Mbappe. And of course, Konate. Okay. Well, <laughs> bigger than Mbappe. They have the hero at center back. Great job. I really just don't understand how they, even finishing second, I think, would shock me for France. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Fourth in the FIFA rankings, sixth in the ELO. So let's go to Australia. I love Australia. You know why? why? Because their nickname is the Socceroos. Oh. They love soccer. They've been to five straight World Cups. They had to win in an intercontinental playoff, though, against Peru on penalties to get to their fifth straight 
but they have only gotten out of the group stage once in 2006. The thing is, in qualifying, they were the first squad ever with 11 straight wins in qualifying in Asia. This is their first time, this is their first time in Asia. They used to be in Oceania, and they just rolled through Oceania because there's no other team except for New Zealand. But this time they were in Asia, so it was a lot harder, but they came crashing down a little bit. But they still are in the World Cup. The Socceroos have made it. The Socceroos, they are dangerous on the counter, I have been told. Oh! And they have Agen Krustik, who scored a penalty in Frankfurt's Europa League winner over Rangers to win the Europa League last year. Socceroos, 38th in the FIFA rankings, 39 in ELO. But how about the red and whites of Denmark, who I think might prove a bigger test for France, probably. 10th yeah. in the FIFA rankings. This is only their second straight World Cup, though, but the biggest, one of the big stories of the Euros was Christian Eriksen, his heart literally stopping on the field at the Euros, but he's been playing really well for Manchester United. Was he named in the squad? Mm-hmm. Okay, good. He's playing, and he's going to be one of their best players. The question, though, Kasper Schmeichel at keeper has not been playing well. I feel like Denmark is kind of fan favorites after everything that happened with Ericsson. You know, everyone wants the comeback story. So, you know, best of luck to them, honestly. We'll see. Tenth in the V-Rings, ninth in ELO. And the last team is the Eagles of Carthage to Nisia, who have been to two straight. World Cups, five in total. They have not advanced past the group stage in any of them, though. But they are a team that is going to sit back and absorb pressure, which I really don't think is a good idea when you're playing no. France and Denmark and even the Socceroos. <laughs> I don't know about Tunisia. All right, M. Adams, your predictions for Group D France, Denmark, Australia, Tunisia. All right. I've got France, Australia. I know I love this. I love Christian Eriksen, but Socceroos really got to me. Yeah. And then Denmark and Tunisia. So yeah, we'll see. But France, come on, like they're gonna they're gonna break the curse. That's yeah, that's not even a question. So we're halfway done with the groups. Let's go to Group E, which is has the second highest average FIFA ranking of eighteen and a half. A lot of people saying it might be the group of death. Spain, who are ranked 7th in FIFA, 3 in ELO. La Roja, who have been to 12 straight World Cups, won it in 2010, but only got to the round of 16 last time. The only player left from that 2010 championship is Sergio Busquets. The only time the Spaniards have made it past the round of 16 since 2010. There's new blood, though. If you've been watching Barcelona, you know. 18-year-old Javi, 19-year-old Pedri. They are rolling for Spain, who are a lot younger this year. And the Spaniards have not lost a game by multiple goals since 2016 when they lost to Italy. Nice fact. Now let's go to Costa Rica. Los Ticos, who are 31st in the FIFA, bringing up the rear of CONCACAF mm -hmm. as the 4th. CONCACAF team who qualified from an intercontinental playoff basically because of their goalkeeper, 35-year-old Kaylor Navas. Yeah. Basically the only name you need to know because if he struggles, it's over. 
And he's 35 years old. I know. Yeah, he's the only name you probably know. He is. And I I watched Costa Rica play the US twice in qualifying, and I don't know the other players. No. So there's Costa Rica. Germany is the other big team in this group, though. 12th in the FIFA rankings, 10th in ELO. And they have the king, everyone. King Kai. King Kai Havertz, who has been in and out of the lineup for Chelsea this year. So I would say, I mean, they have Thomas Muller, they have Neuer, they have Sané. Neuer's 36 years old, though. At Gundogan. Gundogan. Rudiger in defense. I miss Rudiger. They have a lot of good people. Germany got nine wins in their ten qualifying games. Of course, they have disappointed. 2014, they won the World Cup. Of course, the champions curse. 2018, they did not make it out of the group. But they've been to 19 tournaments, 19 World Cup tournaments. They have finished in the top four of 12 of those. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. So impressive. They're, they've always been a strong team. The Germans with King Kai. All right, final team in Group E is Samurai Blue of Japan, who are 24th in the FIFA and ELO rankings. This is their seventh straight. World Cup. They made it to the round of 16, so they got out of the group last time. They were the first Asian nation to beat a South American nation last time. They beat Colombia 2-1 in the group stage. How about that? How about that fact? Sanders facts. Sanders facts! The two names you need to know are Arsenal's Tamiyasu and Maya Yoshida. They are going to score, hopefully, for Japan. But we'll see. The four forwards on Japan's 26-man side, though, have just 10 international goals total. Well, so that might be an issue. Yeah, but we'll see. just a little bit against the other teams you're playing against. So. All right. So Group E, I think it's pretty clear. I said this is a group of death, but I think it's pretty clear who are the teams that are going to come out. My predictions, I've got Germany 1, Spain 2, Japan, and then Costa Rica. Yeah. Germany's going to win. Spain will get second. And then Japan, Costa Rica. How about that? Sainer's facts. Group F is the third toughest, according to the FIFA rankings. When you start with the second place team in the FIFA rankings, Belgium, the Red Devils. Belgium had this big golden generation. They haven't won a World Cup, though. Third place in 2018, they got close. They beat England in that third place game. But the golden generation is winding down. And let me just tell you, Belgium have a player by the name of Romelu Lukaku. And I am absolutely sick of Romelu Lukaku. I don't know if you, I don't know if you watched him against Chelsea. He would just turn around and there could be 30 guys in front of him. And he would just shoot at the goal. Wouldn't care. He was not good. And he's been injured for most of the year for Inter. So. He scored a goal the, a few weeks ago. Okay. Well, please. I was, I was watching it because it was Champions League. And I don't know what got into me, but he scored and I started crying. <laughs> like, it was happy tears. I was like oh, so happy no. for him because he had just come back off injury and he I'm scored. Sorry. I was like... I can't. I can't with you, Romelu. But they also have... There's 10 men who are also on the field besides Romelu Lukaku. And that includes Eden Hazard and Kevin De Bruyne up top. 
could be the most formidable front three in the tournament. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. But the defense is a lot older, except for their goalkeeper, Courtois, yeah. who I think many people regard as the best goalkeeper in the world. Debatable. What? Allison. Okay, we'll, we'll get to Brazil. But I think for this golden generation, this may be the last chance I'm Adams, and I don't know about Belgium this year. Yeah, everyone is getting old, so I think this is probably the, the last mm-hmm. hurrah. So in their group, they've got Canada, Morocco, and Croatia. Canada, the Reds, first World Cup since 1986, just their second World Cup ever. Mm. But let me tell y'all, I watched Canada in qualifying. Watch out for Canada. Holy cow. Alfonso Davies for Bayern Munich has done really well. Tejan Buchanan, Jonathan David, and Kyle Lahren at striker. Listen, so their manager is John Herdman. He was the manager for the women's team. He did really well for the women's team. He's basically turned around the men's team. Like, I watched, I watched them beat the U.S. 2-0 in Canada. Like, yeah, Canada's really good. And then we've got Morocco, the Atlas Lions, who are 22nd in the FIFA rankings. This is their second straight World Cup, but they haven't gotten out of the group last time in 2018. Morocco's had like this huge coaching turmoil thing, like their old manager, I don't know what was going on, but they fired him. He fell out of favor with Mazarui, Harit, and Hakim Ziyech, like three of their best guys gone. They're back now. First off, I cannot stand Hakim Ziyech every time he comes on for Chelsea. He is so selfish. Like, I just cannot. I cannot with Ziyech. So I'm not a fan of Morocco. But I think their best player is uh, 24-year-old Hakimi. And so then the final team in the group, the team that was probably the biggest shocker of 2018, Croatia, made it all the way to the final. I gotta say, though, Luka Modric is 37 years old. So, so well, it's sad, but like, I know, I love though. that's his age. They're 12th in the FIFA rankings. They group stage in 2014, 2006, 2002, and then they go to the final in 2018. And they've only been an independent country since 1991, so they've only been to five World Cups. But of course, they've got Brozovic. Kovacic in the midfield. They've got they have a ton of experience. The issue is they're all old. I still think they're a very a very good team. I would I can see them going through. The last runner up to reach the next final was Brazil in 2002 when they won the final. All right, Sam Adams, your 4-4 four, four, group F. This is a hard one because I could see Canada or Croatia taking the second slot, but mm-hmm. I'm going to give it to Croatia and I'm going to have Belgium winning the group and then Canada third and Morocco last. Yeah. I pick Canada. So Belgium, Canada, Croatia, Morocco. You're going to watch Canada. You're going to be impressed. They're pretty good. Yeah, I don't doubt it. Santa warned you. So over to Group G. Group G with the favorites. First in FIFA, first in ELO. First in life. Brazil. And you look at Brazil, they're loaded. <laughs> first off, they can choose, basically, who are we going to start at goal? Allison or Ederson? <laughs> two, of the, two of the arguably, like, the, the best goalkeepers. <laughs> yeah. Not just the Premier League, the world. They could just switch them out every game. 
<laughs> if Allison gets injured, oh, we'll just get Ederson. You wouldn't yeah. like that, though. No. Mm-mm. No, not for Liverpool. I'm actually, I'm really excited to see which goalkeeper starts, because it's going to be hard to pick. Yeah, that'll be interesting. Yeah. But that's not all they have. Neymar, of course. Neymar, by the way, a Bolsonaro fan. Is this his last World Cup? It's his last World Cup. He said he's only 31, I believe. But Pele also retired from Brazil at 31. He's a lot younger than people think. You know, because I, I always think... Oh, I thought, he was, like, I thought he was older than people think. I don't know. I really? keep thinking I think of him in his that, 20s. Like, no, I see him as like Messi and Ronaldo's age, like late 30s, mid-30s. He's only, he's only 31. Then you've also got, on defense, Thiago Silva, who's 37 years old, but he's probably Chelsea's best defender, I think. So, yeah, I mean, he's still rolling in Militao back there with Marquinhos. Ricarlison and Rafinha are probably going to go with Neymar, but you've, I mean, probably on the bench, you've got Gabriel Jesus, Vinicius, Rodrigo, Anthony. I would be, with the form Jesus has been in, I would be surprised if he doesn't start. Well, he would, he, he went from Man City to Arsenal this year, and he was rolling for Arsenal at the beginning. Yeah. I think he'll start. Probably, I don't know, probably the deepest team of the tournament. Yeah. Most likely. So they lost in the quarterfinals to Belgium four years ago. Serbia are 21st in the FIFA rankings. They've been to two straight World Cups. 11 total. Of course, that includes when they were Yugoslavia. But they are looking to get out of the group for the first time since 1998. And they will try to do that with Aleksandr Mitrovic, a man who does not take the Alexander name and tarnish it, unlike some other players. Serbia likes to score goals, though, if you didn't know. The Eagles! And then you've got Switzerland, whose nickname are literally Lenati, which... Translates to national team. So that's boring. They've been to five straight World Cups. Round of 16 in the last two. But they look really good right now. Their form might be doing really well. With Granite Xhaka. He's so good. In the midfield. And then Shakiri at Chicago Fire. MLS product. That's right, that's right. I wouldn't say he's a product of MLS. He is a result. See, the product is where he was before he just ended up at MLS. Christian Pulisic, Brendan Aronson, Tyler Adams, Weston McKinney, all these American players, MLS products. Thank you very much. And then Cameroon, the Indomitable Lions. I like that nickname. Not as good as Socceroos, though. Not as but good as have- the national team. <laughs> the national team. <laughs> That's so boring, Switzerland. And uh, Cameroon have a new manager this year, Rigobert Song. They gave up 14 goals at AFCON last year, the African Cup of Nations. I doubt they played much in AFCON. I don't think they uh, did well. I don't think they're going to do very well in this group either. Well, they qualified. Mm, True. Egypt did not. So Group G... I'll do my predictions. Brazil obviously won. They should Brazil should get nine points. Yeah. Two, I think I'll go with Serbia because yeah. national team is terrible name. Switzerland and then Cameroon. If Brazil doesn't get nine points, 
it should be considered a failure. Oof, yeah. If you're if you're looking at the team they have against the other teams, like you want to walk away with with nine points from this. So Brazil, Switzerland, because they have performed well in other World Cups and okay. um, other competitions. So Switzerland, Serbia, Cameroon. All right, and now the final group is Group H, headlined by. Well, we're going to talk about this, Sam Adams. Portugal. So, obviously, the big name for Portugal is Cristiano Bruno Ronaldo. <laughs> well, it's Ronaldo. Who? Now, there's been a lot to talk about with Ronaldo in the last few uh, days. If you all don't know, and Adams has a bunch to say about this, but he's gone scorched earth on his club team, Manchester United. He said in an interview... To Piers Morgan, by the way. You give an interview to Piers Morgan, like... <laughs> gonna get blasted, like... God. He said, quote, I don't have respect for Eric Ten Hag, the manager of Manchester United, because he doesn't show respect for me, unquote. Quote, if you don't have respect for me, I'm not gonna have respect for you, unquote. This probably comes from the fact that Ronaldo's done a lot of bench-sitting this year for United. I would like to continue this. He talks about Wayne Rooney. He says, I don't know why he criticizes me so badly. Probably because he finished his career and I'm still playing at a high level. Wait, is it, hold on. How old is Wayne Rooney? What is wrong with him? Wayne Rooney? Wayne Rooney's coached at like three clubs now? Yeah. Oh, uh, they're the same age, though. Wayne Rooney manager at DC United. Let's talk about Sir Alex Ferguson knows better than anyone that the club is not on the path they deserve to be. The people who don't want to see that, it is because they don't want to see. They are blind. I feel betrayed, and I felt like some people don't want me here. Not only this year, but last year, too. Honestly, no one wants you there. Because you are an intention-seeking, ball-hogging, self-centered, egotistic man. Need some ice for that sick burn? At the beginning of the season, Manchester United were doing terrible. Like, they were not going to score any goals in the month of August, I think, until they scored against Liverpool. Because Ronaldo and Harry Maguire were playing, and when Eric Ten Hag took those both took both of those two off, they started winning games. He's not even like he just is so. He just needs a reality check. He needs his ego back in check. But this is something that really, really shook me. Is that so? After reading all those quotes, I read another one, which is Christian Ronaldo from July two thousand nine, saying, "I owe Manchester United." everything that i am today moral of the story is never go back to your old club don't have a homecoming it will not turn out well and if you're up try just just finish there finish while you're up you don't need to keep trying and all that plastic surgery has gone to his head if you want your (laughs) if you want your reputation to be maintained this i mean like many people have said this is ruining his reputation oh yeah i am not rooting for portugal because of him like come on yeah i'm not rooting i mean clearly i used to say ronaldo or messi i would say i don't know now it's clearly messi so well there's a third man in that conversation his (laughs) name is brennan aronson well they call him the medford messi you know they actually call Lionel messi the argentinian aronson i don't know if you knew that uh so of course I mean, the best player in qualifying for Portugal was probably Jota. 
and he's he's not playing. They do have Diego Costa in goal, Ruben Diaz, Cancelo, and then Bernardo Silva, as you said, and Bruno Fernandes, and Rafael Leo. He's probably going to be the best. He needs to pick up the slack up front because Jota's out, and who knows what's going on with Ronaldo. So realistically they're a good team ronaldo with or without ronaldo what what if ronaldo makes the locker room toxic there's a high chance he wasn't (laughs) i actually would pay to be a final like i wonder if he goes in there and he's like guys like i just i need it you need to pass the ball to me so i can like score and show everyone that i'm like good show everyone that i'm right manchester united's wrong let's go to ghana the 61st team in the FIFA rankings, that's the worst in this tournament. U.S. knows a lot about Ghana in a World Cup. Not this year, though, because, uh, no. And then Uruguay, the sky blue. You know a man from Uruguay quite well. Darwin Nunes. How's he been doing this year? He is getting settled, I would say. He is starting to perform better. It's going to take time, though. I mean, he's not even used to speaking English, so there's obviously a, a, a barrier. So so they're 14th in the FIFA rankings. They have a lot more players than Nunes, though, including Luis Suarez, who was playing in his final World Cup. Another big name who's playing in his um, final World Cup. I wonder if he'll bite someone again. Fight me. If he loses. If you want to talk about controversial players, that's one good name to talk about. Uh, he's old, though. So maybe he won't get to the player in time to bite him. His teeth aren't as sharp anymore. <laughs> They've also got Cavani and Bentancur. I love hearing uh, Peter Drury say those names. And then Valverde. But the sky blue, that's what they are. Les Celeste are definitely interesting. Because I think you could see them getting first in the group, or they could get knocked out of the group. So <laughs> we'll see. Korea is the final team, the 32nd team we've got. Korea Republic, technically, but it's South Korea, North Korea, and in this thing. 28th of the FIFA rankings. This is their 10th straight World Cup, and the fate of this country will rest on one Sun Hyun Min for Tottenham, who is recovering from facial surgery. What happened? I think he got poked in the eye or something. Yeah, I saw him wearing glasses. I was really, I was a little shook. So, he has kind of been, I know he got taken out of the starting lineup for Tottenham. They have, Tottenham has a massive front three, though. The massive names up there. But he shared the golden boot last season in the Premier League with Salah. So. He's really good. I've always respected him as a player, except for when he literally tried to break someone's leg. So. That might be an issue. Yeah. So, yeah. He's the, he's the key for Korea's hope. They're trying to get into the knockouts for the first time in 20 years. All right, final predictions for this group. Group H, M. Adams. Portugal. Ugh. Uruguay. Mm. Korea. Mm. Ghana. I've got Uruguay 1, because I can't stand Penaldo. Portugal 2. South Korea 3, and then Ghana 4. Alright, those are the groups. Now we go to the knockout rounds, which start at the round of 16. It's designated the teams you play for based on how you finish in the group. 
So in the round of 16, 16 teams, if you start at the, there's a bracket you can fill out actually, which I've done. So if you start at the top left of the bracket, it's A1, so the first team in Group A versus B2, the second place finisher in Group B. All right, so in the round of 16, I've got starting top left of the bracket going down and going to the right. Netherlands and England, A1 v B2. I've got Netherlands beating England. Thank you very much. Netherlands will be either team. She's crying as we speak. Netherlands won't beat you. Okay. C1, Argentina, D2. I put Australia, but Argentina's going to beat the Socceroos. I'm so sad about that. E1, Germany, F2, Canada. Canada's good, but not as good as King Kai in Germany. So I've got Germany advancing, and they will play Brazil, who I think will beat Portugal. Oh, Penaldo. Oh, no. And then, right side of the bracket, U.S. and Senegal. U.S. and Senegal. U.S. will win that one. D1 would be France. C2 would be Poland. I've got France beating Lewandowski. Belgium and Spain. I'll go with Spain, actually, to beat Belgium. And then Uruguay and Serbia. I will pick Uruguay. So in my quarterfinals, I've got Netherlands, Argentina, Germany, Brazil, U.S., France, and Spain, Uruguay. So, M. Adams, who are your matchups for the round of 16? Who you got advancing? First, we're going to have Netherlands versus the U.S. That's Netherlands any day. What? Who would beat Christian Pulisic? Virgil van Dijk. Disrespectful! Virgil, listen, Virgil was ready for that World Cup. He was not trying against Leeds. <laughs> he, was, he was getting ready for the World Cup. Um, that's BS, but okay. Argentina versus Denmark. That's going to be Argentina. Mm-hmm. Germany versus Croatia is going to be... Germany. King Kai. Brazil versus Uruguay is going to be a, a really good game, but it's going to be Brazil. And then next on the other side, so we have Senegal versus England. We're going to go England. Oof. Senegal all day, baby. That's not even a question. Sadio Mane. Mexico versus. France is going to be France. Yeah, it'll be like 5-0. Spain versus Belgium is going to be such a good game, but it's going to be Belgium. Mm. Kevin De Bruyne. And Switzerland versus Portugal is also going to be a really good game, but Portugal. All right. How about your four quarterfinal games? Who you got in those and who's going to go to the semifinals? Okay, so for the quarterfinals, I have Netherlands, Argentina, Germany, Brazil, England, France, Belgium, and Portugal. So basically all the big names. This is so hard. I think Argentina will beat Netherlands. Brazil will beat Germany. France will beat England. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. That's hard. That's hard. And Belgium will beat Portugal. Okay. So in my quarterfinals, I've got Netherlands-Argentina. I'll pick Argentina, too. Germany-Brazil. I'll go with Germany. Mm. That's, that'll be... That game... I'll, 
Listen, make a prediction. If Germany plays Brazil, they will go to penalties. Yeah. And I think Germany. I think King Kai will save the day for Germany. Love King Kai. And then I've got the U.S. playing France. And I've got France winning. It's really sad. Listen, I think that the U.S. will score four goals, but France will score five. And then Spain, Uruguay. I'll actually pick Uruguay to beat Spain. How about that? Okay. So I'll do, all right, so I'll do my semifinals now. Semifinals, actually, if you lose in the semifinals, you play another game, because there's a third place game. So I've got Argentina, Germany, and sorry for the Argentinian Aronson, also known as Lionel Messi. I got Germany. And then my other one, France, Uruguay. France will lose to Uruguay. All right, how about your semifinals? The hot take. I have Argentina, Brazil. I'm going to send Brazil through. And I have France, Belgium. And I'm going to send France through. So, third place game. Is Argentina versus Belgium for me. And Belgium. Okay. I've got Argentina, France, actually, and I picked Argentina. Interesting. Med- Messi. He'll get something. Yeah. He'll get third place. Mm-hmm. And then in the final, I've got Germany, Uruguay, 3-1. King Kai, Germany wins the World Cup. Wow. Didn't they win in 2014? Wow. They're just that good. King Kai. <laughs> Germany. I have Brazil, France, and it would be fun if France won again, but I feel like Brazil will win. I don't know. France is really good. France, France. So there's only been two teams that have won twice in a row in the World Cup. Italy in 1934, 1936-1938, that was a fact. That's what France is trying to do, but France is also trying to get out of the group. Yeah. Which uh, they should get nine points. All right, so there you go. That is our FIFA World Cup 2022 preview, ultimate preview. Germany is going to win. And as always, we're going to have additional coverage of that on the Xander's Facts Instagram page, which you should check out, by the way. In the U.S., you can watch all the World Cup games on Fox Sports, either Fox or FS1 in English, and on Spanish on Telemundo and Peacock. The World Cup begins this Sunday, 11 a.m. Eastern. There's only one game. Qatar takes on Ecuador. And then the rest of the games begin Monday. On Monday, England plays Iran at 8 a.m., Senegal, Netherlands at 11, and U.S., Wales at two o'clock oh my gosh and then the rest of the teams play the third place game takes place saturday december 17th and then the final is on sunday december 18th and as we said earlier the club season resumes less than 10 days after the final it's just bad times it's the world cup m adams are you excited i am it 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 always feels a little weird because you know it's november it's not really something we normally look forward to in this time of year. I have a question for you. Are you connected with people in England? Yes. So, you know, in England, it's a much bigger thing than the U.S. 
mm-hmm. for now. It won't be soon. But is the mood kind of like different there because in England, because it's usually in the summer, so they don't have that build up. Like, are they mm-hmm. going to be in school for like the England Iran game? Like, what are they I doing? Guess. I mean, I'm not the people I'm connected to are like old, but old people i would say they haven't really talked about it like no one is no one seems that excited because like the reason i think world cups are so successful is because there's normally no sports no no soccer in the summer besides like little friendlies baseball yeah so like it's so special because once every four years we get soccer in the summer you know because in the fall you're watching the Premier League, you're watching the NFL, you're watching, like, you have your other sports, so it's not as, like, it's just gonna be so concentrated, like, like, Sunday, um, you're gonna watch a game, and then you're gonna watch the NFL games. Yeah. Monday, same thing, like, it's just, if you wanted more attention, it should have been in the, in the summer. Yes, but, uh, Temperatures get up to 122 degrees in the summer in Qatar. So <laughs> I don't um, know why they picked Qatar in the first place, but yeah. you should have listened to the podcast earlier because it was detailed why they got picked. Same as Bog. So it is weird, but it is the World Cup. And although it's in Qatar, just wait. Less than four years. Mexico, Canada, United States. Please. All right, so there you go. Our 2022 FIFA World Cup preview. That is it. Emma Adams once again joining the podcast. Our Xander's Facts Soccer Analyst. Emma, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much. I'll be back soon. Xander's Facts. The caravan of mostly Central American immigrants is now in the Mexican city of Guadalajara.